You're listening to the Restoring Virtue podcast. I'm your host, Emily. I hope you're feeling lighter and happier and more creative now. In this fifth episode titled Making Room, we'll talk about what it means to make a sacrifice, how it can resolve inner conflict, and help you find your true identity. Sexual trauma can make us feel conflicted or that we have mutually inconsistent thoughts and feelings. Our internal dialogue is in constant turmoil. Can I share? Should I share? What will they think? I want people to love me, but they never say the right thing. Is this normal? I want to be better. Maybe. I'm not sure. I think I want to be better. What's wrong with me? Just put a smile on your face. Why am I thinking about this again? Did that really happen? No one understands me. They don't even know me. We desperately seek the approval and acceptance of others. If we can get a read on what other people think of us, we might know where we stand. In other words, we can use their perceptions and opinions to define who we are. And many of us have no idea who that even is. Sometimes we talk about feeling like an imposter or inauthentic or see that we are putting on an act. We hide our pain and pretend to be okay. Many of us express that we are, quote, just going through the motions, or completing our required daily tasks, but without joy or enthusiasm. Even when approval and acceptance is available, it never seems to be enough to settle the conflict or relieve our pain. Apostle Elder Melvin J. Ballard said, The greatest conflict that any man or woman will ever have will be the battle that is had with self. In episode one, Where It Hurts, we learn that God created us as dual beings. First, the spiritual being. Your spiritual being was created by heavenly parents. It's true. You are the literal offspring of deity, a child of God, with inherited spiritual qualities and characteristics. Learning what those characteristics are will help you understand your potential and destiny. This is your divine nature, and knowing it is one of the most precious pieces of information you can have. When physical characteristics are shared with biological parents, it can give someone a greater sense of identity. I have brown eyes like my mom. My daughter has her dad's smile. My son is tall like his grandfather. From this, we might infer that the more we know about our divine nature, the more we will know about God because we were created in his image. You are not a bird, but if you were a bird, where you'd be going is south for the winter. And you are not a cloud, but if you were a cloud, what you would become is rain. What you are is a child of God. Your potential is to become like him, and your destiny is to return to him. The second nature is the physical nature, or the body. The body is an incredible machine, but with it comes certain appetites and passions. However, we don't have control over some of those appetites and passions, like breathing and blinking. Even things like hunger and sex are partly controlled by hormones and sensation and are not fully under our control. So if you responded to the sexual touch of abuse, there is nothing wrong with your body or with you. 
Nevertheless, some of those appetites and passions are a source of opposition to the plan, including lust, greed, pride, or any temporal desire. It's important, though, to make the distinction between the desires of the body and the purpose of the body, which is, as we discussed in episode one, to enhance the spiritual experience. The scriptures refer to the body as a temple, a place the divine nature can dwell. This temple, as a dwelling place for the spirit, is the combination that President Nelson described in episode one as intimate, joined, and living. The internal conflict is not because the body is, quote, the bad wolf, if you're familiar with the old Cherokee tale. It's because it is the body and not the spirit that is subject to physical and emotional pain, weakness, death, and sorrow. Therefore, the physical nature is not always in tune with the spiritual nature. It is a law of the universe that certain elements cannot coexist. We've already discussed light and darkness, love and hate. In fact, the term love-hate relationship is a falsehood. That would actually just be a hate relationship. The universe has its absolutes, and there are some things that either are or are not. Something cannot be both hot and cold, wet and dry, soft and hard. So, by natural law, our physical appetites and passions cannot coexist with the divine nature. There is room only for one. While it is doctrine that we are dual beings, meaning two, it's worth examining the idea that we are dealing with a triad of concepts. The divine nature, the physical appetites and passions, and the physical temple. These three concepts converge in the battle for self that Elder Ballard spoke of. It is the divine nature's fight against the physical nature for the use of the body. But know this is true. The divine nature is and always will be stronger than the physical appetites and passions. Apostle Elder M. Russell Ballard reminds us to always remember one's divine identity is the antidote to anger, ill feelings, distrust, and hate. The greatest human fear is the fear of loss, and the number one manifestation of that fear is the fear of public speaking. People are afraid of public speaking because it makes them vulnerable to rejection, which can be traced back to loss, the loss of human connection, which shows just how significant that need is. Another common fear is of heights. I have a paralyzing fear of heights. I'm not afraid of being up high, but I'm afraid of falling from up high and the feeling of nothing being there to catch me. People are terrified of the idea of nothing or empty or gone or lost. This fear is so strong that we need something to fill that void, even if it's our pain. This is why it's difficult to give up our stories of abuse. It might be the only sense of self we have. Many of us have defined ourselves by this experience, and if we lose it, what then? There are many reasons why the abused hold on to pain. The pain may hurt, but it's familiar and predictable. It may be our whole life experience, or most of it. If the abuse was generational, we may simply be repeating coping behaviors we've learned from other family members. Healing is a lot of work and requires revisiting memories better forgotten. It might be, for whatever reason, that we cannot make healing a current priority. 
Pain is also a form of punishing the perpetrator if they could only see what they've done to us. Pain can engender sympathy from others, which in turn provides a form of the approval and acceptance we were looking for. Finally, pain keeps us from having to take responsibility for our future. Let's go back for a moment to our artist's room that we visited in episode four, I Have a Purpose. Our artist had all the right tools to create their masterpiece, and they used each tool purposefully. But there's something else the artist had to do to accomplish their goal. They had to make a sacrifice. They had to give something up. What they gave was their time and energy, and the things they chose not to do so that they could do what they did do. Our artist gave these things up for a greater or consecrated purpose. Creation and sacrifice are therefore our dual concepts. To gain something, you must give something up. While creation is making a sequence of consecrated choices to achieve a desired purpose, sacrifice is a consecrated choice to let go or give something up for the sake of a greater purpose. The something can be a physical object of importance or something intangible such as a feeling or emotion. A sacrifice can, but does not have to be, of great significance. However, it's often the case that the value of the thing given up reflects the profit of the thing gained. Sacrifice could be the simple daily tasks of moving forward, putting one foot in front of the other, and doing your best. Or it could be everything you have, as in the case of the widow's might. Prophet and President David O. McKay said that sacrifice is... Every noble impulse, every unselfish expression of love, every brave suffering for the right, every surrender of self to something higher than self, every loyalty to an ideal, every unselfish devotion to principle, every helpfulness to humanity, every act of self-control, every fine courage of the soul, undefeated by pretense or policy. It is being doing, and living good for the very good's sake. Similar to these things President McKay highlights, we can consecrate and make a sacrifice of our pain. And not just our pain, but all those things the physical body is subject to, including its appetites and passions. In the second book of Nephi, chapter 2, verse 2, Lehi tells his son, Nevertheless, Jacob, my firstborn in the wilderness, Thou knowest the greatness of God, and he shall consecrate thine afflictions for thy gain. The word sacrifice means to make sacred, and is often called a leap of faith, a figure of speech illustrating a willingness to face the fear of loss for something to be gained. By making a sacrifice of all those things the physical body is subject to, including its appetites and passions, the thing that is gained is a temple, a sacred place for the divine nature to dwell So if you want to know who you are, the real you, the creative you, the whole you, you have to let go of who you were, the conflicted you, the painful you, the fearful you. This is another one of my all-time favorite thought-provoking quotes from Apostle Elder Neil A. Maxwell. As sovereigns, choosing to yield to the highest sovereign is our highest act of choice. It is the only surrender which is also a victory. In summary, our choices will determine how the physical body is used, as a holding place for pain or a temple for the divine nature to dwell. 
love and hate, peace and conflict, happiness and sorrow, faith and fear, cannot coexist. Every sacrifice of physical appetites and passions makes room for the divine nature. Every step forward requires a sacrifice from the past. To be made whole, you must let go wholly. The paradox or juxtaposition may seem contradictory, but when examined more closely is well-founded in truth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, Paul stated, For when I am weak, then I am strong. The apostle Luke in chapter 9, verse 24, recorded Jesus Christ's teaching, Whosoever shall lose his life, the same shall save it. It's ironic that loss, our greatest human fear, is exactly what is required to gain access to the great sacrifice, the atonement of Jesus Christ. I married my husband in the spring of 2001 in the San Diego, California temple. It was a beautiful sunny day, as it is most of the time in Southern California. I had a white dress with a beaded lace overlay. My makeup was done and my hair pinned up. I was a young woman. This wedding took place before I started getting wrinkles and gray hair, so you could say that I was a beautiful young woman. A vanity in the bride's room was reserved for me. I sat in front of the mirror, waiting for my moment, making sure I looked the part. But the beautiful young woman looking back at me was merely a shell of the world's standard of beauty. There was nothing of value on the inside, at least that I was aware of at the moment. But I was happy to marry my young man, and we did look nice together in the pictures. Fast forward 20 years... On the outside, I didn't look quite the same as I did on my wedding day, but on the inside, a remarkable transformation had taken place. My book tells the complete story of that transformation. In the few minutes I have right now, I'll just say that I did all the things I'm suggesting that you do. I didn't skip any steps. Now living in Anchorage, Alaska, I had signed myself up on the calendar to help clean the temple. I almost forgot after a busy day and was already ready for bed. Quickly I hopped in the car and made the short drive. To the bride's room I went on my assigned task to empty trash cans. I set the trash can back down next to the full-length, gold-plated, embellished mirror, then thought to move on. As I did so, I walked past the mirror and caught my reflection out of the corner of my eye. The image stopped me in my tracks. I stepped back and stood looking at myself, cleaning scrubs, no makeup, hair tossed in a messy ponytail. A quiet moment passed, and then I felt the same sweeping feeling of love I had on my morning run some years back. That feeling was familiar to me now. It felt glorious. In my reflection, I saw a beauty that I had not seen on my wedding day, dressed to the max, not because of my appearance, but because of who I had become. Sacrifice and choice are inseparably bound. Each choice made leaves an infinite number of choices unmade. Think of that. Does that idea not give perspective on how altogether important the power of choice is? We just discussed how sacrifice means to make something sacred or give something up for a greater purpose, but in reality, every choice we make is a choice to sacrifice all else. Simply stated, if I choose to cut my hair short, I don't get to have long hair. So my question to you is, 
Is the choice you're making worth the sacrifice? I guess it depends on if you want the sacrifice to be yourself on the altar of the world. Finally, thank you for making the sacrifice to be here with me. 